Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to sport our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Hemp Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe. We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. Andy, it is hard to believe that we have been having in-depth weekly conversations about movies since 2011. You are telling me. Producing this show week after week requires a ton of work behind the scenes. If you'd like to help support our efforts, one easy way is by using our Originals page when shopping for books and movies that we've covered. Just visit thenextreel.com slash originals. Your purchases made through our links give us a small commission at no extra cost to you and allow us to keep having these great discussions. I love The Next Reel Season 4. Do you know why? I don't. Why? Because we got to talk about my favorite movie, Terry Gilliam's Brazil. That's not even an adaptation. Uh, no, but it was such a great part of our, of our great Terry Gilliam series. And a few others in that series were adaptations, like The Adventures of Baron Munchausen, adapted from Raspi's stories, and La Jete, which inspired 12 Monkeys. Oh, right. And, and for our Man With No Name trilogy, we saw how Sergio Leone's A Fistful of Dollars was basically stolen from Kurosawa's Yojimbo. We added Labor Day to our Jason Reitman series, adapted from Joyce Maynard's novel. Oof, there's one we'll always regret. Our big Stephen King series covered adaptations like The Shining, Cujo, Christine, and Stand By Me, great horror, and coming-of-age tales. Another Coen Brothers adaptation, too. We got to talk about how they turned Homer's The Odyssey into Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? For our holiday series, we did The Bishop's Wife and The Poseidon Adventure. And who could forget seeing Alec Guinness in the adaptation of Kind Hearts and Coronets during our series dedicated to him. We really need to do more of his films. Truly. We had our first film noir series with classics like Double Indemnity, Detour, and Out of the Past. And our black and white cinematography of James Wong Howe series with The Thin Man, Sweet Smell of Success, Seconds, and King's Row. So many adaptations. Oh, you're not kidding. Dive deeper into these originals and more at thenextreel.com slash originals. Every book you buy helps support our show. Get the full list at thenextreel.com slash originals and start reading today. I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Andy Nelson. Welcome to The Next Reel. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. In just a matter of seconds, you're going to hear a classic episode of this show from back in the day when we called ourselves Movies We Like. 
It took us a while to settle into the show's format, so you'll notice some differences as you listen to these episodes. For instance, it takes us a bit of time to actually get into the conversation about the movie. Things like that. But we're still proud of the conversations about the movies themselves, and we think they're worth keeping in the library. So enjoy these episodes from our back catalog. And you can become part of our Discord community, learn more about the show, and find out how you can become a supporting member at thenextreel.com. So thank you, everybody, for downloading and listening to The Next Reel. We appreciate your time and attention, and we hope you enjoy the show. Let me tell you what I did tonight. I'm not feeling all that well. No. No, because I, uh, so uh, my wife is out of town. She's doing her trip, so it's me and the kids. And we have this new favorite meal. Mm. Yeah. It's uh, uh, ramen. <laughs> now, that's, that's... now I'm not saying I'm not saying that it's ramen like the 95 cent ramen. Okay, I'm was... saying we've 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 figured out. I found a the the guidebook on real ramen, like making your own ramen. It's a very simple kind of a thing, but it does require you know we we make our broth from scratch. We went ahead and roasted a chicken and took the broth and boiled it. That was great, and we had this great. Thing. So my pan. My 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 saucepan that I make the broth in, I, I cleaned it as I was straining the broth and getting all the goodies out, and, and I washed it, and then I put it back on the stove, put the broth back in to heat it up, and then cook the noodles. And as I'm <laughs> as I'm bringing the broth to a boil, it's bubbling more than I think it should. Mm-hmm. And and eventually the the bubbles they really end up taking on more of a consistency of uh, what's the word um, suds goo. Oh, okay. I don't think I, I didn't clean, I didn't clean, I didn't rinse, I cleaned it very well, but I don't think I rinsed the pan well enough mm. and ended up having, and so I just kind of scraped the bubbles off the top and I served it. I thought, what's wrong with eating a little soap? <laughs> I thought it might help break it down as it goes down, you know? Sure. Yeah. It's, it may be breaking it down right now. Mm. Yeah. Sudsy ramen. It was, it was quite delicious. Uh, are you like are you like belching bubbles? I, a little bit. I it's like the cartoon. <laughs> I'm I'm a cartoon uh, cartoon dingo. <laughs> cartoon dingo. I'm a cartoon dingo bel- belching bubbles. I would like one of our listeners to draw that <laughs> and send it to us because that's just fantastic. Pete, the cartoon dingo cartoon belching, dingo belching bubbles. bubbles. <laughs> Oh, somehow I feel that that needs to be a part of the shirt next year. Let me, I was just going to say, you know what? If somebody can come up with a really good uh, uh, image of Pete the cartoon dingo belching bubbles, I will put it on a shirt and I will send them one. There you go. And I will, I will put that up on our website. Everybody should I think have we one. Need, I think we need a cartoon dingo belching bubbles. <laughs> and you just wait, Nelson. Your time will come. I, I'm anxious. Anxiously awaiting. <laughs> Oh, that's so fantastic. Right? How are you doing? Mm. Are you feeling good? I feel good. I feel great. I feel wonderful. Excellent. Mm-hmm. I feel I feel I feel equally good. Shall we tell the people where we're from? Where are we from? Everybody, welcome to the next reel. I'm Pete Wright. That there is Andy Nelson. Good night. And we spoil movies tonight on the show, the second in our epic dystopian action extravaganza with George Miller's 1981 Mad Max Dose, The Road Warrior. 
But before we get into that, you should learn more about us at thenextreel.com. Subscribe on iTunes or follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Next Reel. And if you eat old dog food straight from the can, head over to Instagram.com slash The Next Reel and play The Next Reel's Instagram. Hashtag Pony Prize. Hashtag Guess the Movie Challenge. Andy, how'd we do with those gyro pilots this week? Uh, we did pretty good. If you were speaking about people who eat dog food, were you speaking specifically of me? <laughs> Andy the Aussie. That's right. Good day. Uh, no, we did. Uh, we did pretty good. It was four images in this week of the fittingly Australian film, The Baba Duke. Which I know some people love it, but I just really hated that movie. Really? I thought it was terrible. Oh man! Uh, I liked. I liked the idea of the Baba Duke, but by the time I got to the ending, I was like, Oh, seriously? Oh, jeez, uh, man. Hang on. Mark Kermode's calling on the other line. <laughs> He's asking for your number. Should I give it to him? Sure. Bring wow. it on. Bring it on. <laughs> wow, you are going against the uh, system on that one. I know. I know. What can I say? It's just, it's just me. I'm a Stinker. Duke. But yeah, it was. It was. It had its creepy elements. But anyway, that's few and far between. Uh, uh, that doesn't even make sense. <laughs> it doesn't matter at all. You're, uh, you're using language interestingly. I. <laughs> It's been it's been an interesting language day for me. <laughs> Go language. <laughs> language one, Andy zero. That's right. It has been one of those days. <laughs> um, but four images in and Hunter M. Lewis returning after quite a hiatus, I believe. But yeah, he returned with four images, was able to guess it was the Baba Duke. So he is, of course, entered doing the twenty fifteen Pony Prize. Outstanding. Hunter M. Lewis, congratulations. Welcome. To the club. Uh, I think with that, Andy, it's time for us to do some trailers. I'm kind of excited about mine. It looks like a strange little uh, quirky comedy that could be bad. <laughs> and if, I think if it were made in the United States with Adam Sandler in it, I think it would be bad. But I think because... This is uh, has a little bit of Monty Python muscle behind it. Uh, Terry Jones uh, co-wrote it and is directing it. And it's actually including all of the Monty Python gang as a group of extraterrestrials. I am kind of giving this a little bit of a, a little bit of a, a win right now. Um, Simon Pegg is starring in it too, which of course almost always gives something at least a point for me wanting to watch it, even though he's been in some that aren't very good but i still put it in the win category because the monty python gang simon Pegg, and this just looks like a it looks like bruce almighty drop god and throw in five monty python-esque aliens um, giving him unlimited power to see if he will actually do good and save humanity so that they won't destroy the earth and instead he does things like you know have his clothes uh, put them put themselves on him and make the dog poop clean itself up and just completely nonsensical stuff and i think it looks really funny i can't wait to see it suppose there was one thing you could do would change your life for the better oh that's easy i would be able to see Catherine from downstairs <laughs> i can make things happen clothes get dressed on me all i have to do is wave my hand Dennis, be able to speak. Biscuits. What? Biscuits. Please, please, please. Nothing else matters. Come to think of it, I wouldn't mind shagging your leg right now. I think at this point, I, my strategy 
around Simon Pegg movies is not to see many of them. (laughs) (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Uh, I have such a good memory of the Simon Pegg movies that I really adore. And so I will not sully them by seeing other ones. This one tempts me more than some of the others. I think like, really, yeah. Robin yeah. Williams is the dog. Like I, I find, uh, I find some of this uh, really intriguing. And you know, poop. And Who doesn't love a good British poop joke? They do them well. So I don't know. I'm thinking. I'm, I'm thinking. I might dive in. Maybe. Maybe we'll wait for trailer two. I don't know. It it could work. You know, it's one of those things. I I feel like I'm giving it a win right now. I'm still nervous about it because you know when Simon Pegg is not with Edgar Wright, he can he can uh, end up in some disastrous comedy films. But I just want to, I want it to be good with the Monty Python guys in it and yep, Simon yep. Pegg. You've got Kate Beckinsale, you, like you said, Robin Williams as the dog, uh, Joanna Lumley, Eddie Izzard, Rob Riggle, who cracks me up. Every I, stinking thing he's in, that guy just looking at him, just the way yep. his face moves, he's funny. Yep, You're right. Much. That's a big point in that in the the pro column. I don't have any U.S. release dates, uh, but it's going to be hitting. Looks like France, U.K., and uh, Iceland in August and September. So hopefully we'll get a release date over here. If not, I'm sure it'll end up going straight to streaming and and Netflix and all that sort of stuff. All right, all right. Well, mine is uh, is I am very excited about mine. It has been out since 2013. It is a, looks like a Chilean-Argentinian co-production. Uh, takes place in Buenos Aires, and mm-hmm. it's called The Film Critic. And uh, I am just charmed by this film. This is a film about a film critic who lives in the sort of malaise of French cinema. He thinks all cinema is, is, cinema is dying, and suddenly he gets caught in a uh, sappy love story. And so this is a movie about a critic that feels like he is trapped in the wrong genre. And it is it looks like a charming little romantic ditty. I agree. I, I think, uh, you know, they had the little uh, blurbs up there as far as what some other people at film festivals and, and critics had thought of it. And some one of them referenced um, When Harry Met Sally. And I definitely had that vibe from it as you kind of dealt with this love story and this kind of you know this person who's unsure of being in this particular love story and i uh i I really liked the vibe i loved the sense of the characters i loved the idea of somebody who breaks down films and analyzes them and and scrutinizes every detail particularly of the bad ones that he hates who ends up getting trapped in one of the ones that he hates. I just think that's a fantastic idea. And the way that they play with some of the tropes, how he's how he's talking about, you know, and of course there's lots of rain and there always has to be the big run at the end. And it just, uh, it looks very funny. I, uh, I, I'm very excited for it. It looks like something that uh, we both should check out. I, I absolutely think we do. It, it is practically um, your biography. Uh, <laughs> practically <and laughs> i would i would talk a lot about the people who were involved in this film but i don't know uh, any of them hernan gershuni is the uh, writer director of this film uh rafael spregelbird and dolores fonzi uh are are uh, uh central characters uh, they look 
really intriguing. They look great on screen. I can't wait to see it. And then I will know to watch for them in the future. <laughs> that is where I am with this film. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, it looks like it hits uh, iTunes and a limited theatrical release on May 15th, 2015 in the U.S. If you are abroad and you have seen this film, uh, drop us a line. Let us know what you thought of it. We'd love to hear. There you go. Excellent. All right. Uh, Andy, I, I just need to tell you. What's that? I am gravely disappointed. Again, you have made me unleash my dogs. This is what it has come to. Look! Help They're coming back! Here is where it shall be decided. Greetings from the Humongous. In a world without gas. The Humongous rules the wasteland. I'm gravely disappointed that you wish to take the gasoline out of the wasteland. Defend the fuel. We'll never walk away! Give me the pump, the gasoline, the whole compound. This is a land that prays for a hero. Well, if anyone's going to get in there, it's going to be you. This is Mad Max 2. Mad Max 2, The Road Warrior, Part 2, again. Uh, 1981, George Miller brings it back. Uh, Mel Gibson... And Bruce Spence and Michael Preston, uh, written by uh, Terry Hayes and uh, George Miller. Uh, it is uh, obviously the quite speedy follow-up to 1979's uh, original film, Mad Max, which we talked about last week, which, if you don't recall, I really, really, really liked. I really liked. I know you did. I you liked were, it a whole you, lot. Yeah, you were, you were uh, quite disappointed that it didn't end up much higher on our uh, flick chart list. That was a flick chart hate crime, (laughs) if you recall. And that's something we need to add to the dictionary, a flick chart hate crime. That's right. (laughs) I'm writing it down. It is not, that was a a shock. And you know, it was a shock not only to me. Our our favorite Scottish friend, Stephen Smart, even commented. That's right, he uh, did. In the back channels, that that he agreed. I I, I hope that he agreed with me. <laughs> I, I think he did. He Although many to exclamation be fair, points. It was not a rock paper scissors. You willingly went along with it. I know, and I totally regret it. I that is that <laughs> I I regret it. I gave that up, and I should not have done so. Oh, I regret that. This is the one I didn't actually write it anywhere. The one Andy broke. But I've been <laughs> thinking one. about it all week. So anyway, here we go. Follow up. Here it is. If I recall, this is a film you like quite a lot, Mad Max 2, The Road like Warrior. This. I do like this quite a lot. I also like it quite a lot. Okay. But I'm going to tell you my thoughts. Oh, I don't like it when it starts with but. I know. Uh, it's practically an Eastwood Western. Like, I couldn't get the, the Man With No Name trilogy out of my head, right? I mean, it's just, it's a, I, I kind of, I love the vibe that it that it sets, right? This uh, the the kind of great adventure of the surly hero coming to town, you know, and he's he he helps the he helps the settlers find their way to the north by beating off a gang of bandits wearing buttless chaps. <laughs> <laughs> hey, don't knock him. I'm wearing some right now. <laughs> 
<laughs> deep knee bends. And uh, so, you know, I really liked it. And, and that was the human connection for us in this film, right? I mean, that was the, that was the sort of humanity, the grace, the sensibility of, of this, uh, this, you know, in this case, named, but practically unnamed stranger, Max, coming into town and, and, and finding his way into the uh, good graces of the settlement and ending up driving the heroic uh, truck out of town. Yes. Um, I love the action of the film. I love the the stunts lived up to my expectations after last week, and yet I find myself missing a, a key element that I did not remember from, you know, in my preparing for my viewing of, of Mad Max, uh, that I ended up loving so much last week, which was the humanity of his relationship with his wife and daughter. They were not able to capture in this film that same... Uh, the, the same family element that I loved so much, and I don't think they made enough of a of of an attempt to uh, rekindle that spirit in building in rebuilding his character. Now maybe it's a, it's because this film came out so soon after the original, they did, felt that they didn't need to, whatever. Um, but but for me, this film ended up feeling like a um, otherwise sort of hollow big awesome action film well that's interesting and i also don't i don't know if i'd call it that fast afterward i mean it was two years for them to get this one going which doesn't seem that fast and also uh you know george miller was offered a bunch of other jobs and and he and uh his writing partner i think were writing some other uh project for a little while before he decided to jump onto this one so i don't think it was like you know, as soon as Mad Max was in theaters that they jumped on to making this one. So no, that's fair. That's fair. But, you know, there I, I always find when I watch this that there is this, uh, I mean, yes, there's definitely that connection with the uh, man with no name type of story where you've got this, this loner who just wants to um, kind of avoid contact and uh, um, stay away from everybody, but has to get involved because he needs things. And, um, but in the end, there's, there's enough there that he finally, um, kind of turns around a little bit and willingly helps. Now I will agree this time it, it did seem like there wasn't a whole lot to trigger him to change his mind and bring him back to, um, to the, uh, the little, I don't know what you would call that thing. The encampment that these guys are, their their refinery. Yeah. Their little, uh, fortress refinery (laughs) that they're in um it's not like he had a change of heart that brought him back i mean he was pretty much attacked and left for dead and brought back um and and then he um decides you know he wants i i I think to me it seems more like he wants to get back at the bad guys now more so than he wants to help the good guys if that makes sense like that's that's kind of my read on the ending this on this latest uh, watch that I did. Yeah, I can see that, but I, I think there's a healthy dose of of helping the good guys as a part of this. I mean, I well, you know he obviously he gets beaten up pretty bad, and there is a dose of vengeance, and that fits with his character. Obviously, he is you know dare I say mad. That's right. Uh, but but still, there is. I mean, you know, I, I it just felt very much like there was an attempt to mirror some of that humanity from the first film, which absolutely, I mean, was thick with it in in this film. And I, you know, I maybe that was me just latching onto it because I missed that so much. I mean, if it was only vengeance, if that was his primary motivation, then then it's even sort of less interesting to me. 
Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Oh, no, I totally see that. And I mean, I think there is a lot going on. Like, I think there is a strong community with this group of people that we find. I really enjoy all of the different people and their kind of crazy, crazy uh, 80s stylings that they have held on to into the apocalyptic era. You know, I really enjoy that. Right. Uh, and again, I shouldn't say apocalyptic. Just this this post, uh, you know, World War Three, maybe. Yeah. You know, type of thing. Uh, we're not quite clear from the beginning, but you know, like I said last time, there were two, you know, two world powers that went to war, and everybody's just kind of fighting in the scraps right now of the aftermath. Um, but I, I like this group of people. I I like the sense of family that they have living here in this this uh, little fortress that they've created. And I do like that Max comes along and really pushes away this sense of attachment to them. You know, they want him to help out. He's pushing that away because he just wants to be that loner that he was left as at the end of Mad Max. He was left this shell of a man that um, is just roaming the roads, fighting for fuel, and just getting by. This is his opportunity to rebuild himself right here. And we have uh, that presented to him, and he shuns it. And he says, I just want the fuel. I just want to work out the deal that I struck with this guy and, and get out of here. And they, you know, it, they go through the process of making that deal happen. But um, when it finally does, he does return and step up to go help these guys out. And uh, um, I, I do like that. And even at the end of the film, we finally get a real smile from him as he realizes the uh, you know what has actually transpired as far, as far as this truck being full of dirt instead of fuel, which I think is just a brilliant twist. Um, and he gives that smile to the gyro captain, which is just so winning. And you can totally, I, I feel like there's almost like a rebirth of some of his uh, some of his passion for humanity again, which he's been fighting against this whole film. And it's almost like finally we get a little bit of that rebirth of Max from the first film. Now you're getting there. That's what I wanted. <laughs> I, you know, I, that's, uh, that's my feeling. I think that's what I like about the end. And, and I also like uh, how that theme, that sort of ideological worldview is supported by the narration in this film. And, and generally, is, you know, I think the narration is, narration in general usually is kind of silly. But in this case, I think it really ends up supporting Max as the mythic figure. Yeah. And that lends to it a sense of great sadness at the end of the film uh, as he's standing on the road and the narration says, you know, he's, that was the last we ever saw of Max, you know, and, and uh, that we, we find out that the little kid, the animalistic little kid ends up being, you know, the, our narrator throughout the film, which is a nice twist. So I, I, I think we get that sense that, and that I think is what counters this idea that it was vengeance all along. I think Max had come to an awareness that, Hey, I, this was his big transformation. This was his change over the course of the film he, that he, he had a need to do good here, that he was still in some way, shape, or form inside. He was still um, an, an enforcer of law, whether it was, you know, civilization's law or the the primal law of right and wrong or the moral law. He yeah. was still a supporter and a, an enforcer of law. And I think that's what makes the character more complex is that he has, he, he can't actually be 100% nutso all the time right because he has a moral fiber 
Absolutely. So he goes. He sees the uh, you know the uh, the people from the the fortress try to escape. They get stopped. Uh, the guy gets killed. The woman gets raped. He goes down. I mean, yes, he's going down because he wants to get their fuel, but he still you know takes revenge on the guy who had been uh, you know raping the woman and there is that side to him that wants to make sure that things work out for the best and he really latches on to this this tribe i like that and i love the connection that he has with the the feral kid i think that's just such a great little connection i love having this young boy who's just who only growls and uh, has that crazy hair and his uh, his his sharpened boomerang that kills people. I just, <laughs> I love that. And I love that he's got that little, um, what do you call those little things? A little hurdy gurdy or something. Is that what that is? That little musical music box thing. Oh yeah. Is that, is that what that is? Is that a hurdy gurdy? Yeah. It's a little hurdy gurdy. You say it like such an Australian. <laughs> Except I it's a little, I can't get like the a little tiny out. one. A hurdy gurdy. Uh, oh, you Americans. I sound like a doofus. <laughs> It's a little hurdy gurdy. There you go. I uh, yeah no I I like that too and I you know I love that their connection the connection between him and the boy uh, isn't really cemented for me until the end when the boy is hanging off the side of the moving semi and he l- <laughs> throws him into the truck. Uh, I I love that uh, and and the intensity of their connection when he needs the kid to get out on the front of the semi and yeah. grab the the last shotgun shell. Um, the way the the camera works, the quick cuts between his face and Max's face, and then finally the face of this shocking creature that kind of reaches up over the front, uh, uh, the nose of the Wes. truck, yeah, Wes, yeah, is is just terrifically intense. I I love that. That whole last bit of the chase, I think, is just one of my favorites uh, in in car chase history. I have such a great time watching that scene. With Max, with the feral kid, with Wes popping up, and then the return of Humongous in the most fantastic way, <laughs> just leading, leading to just the 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 finale. I just think it is just brilliant. It is brilliant. Did you do you find it difficult watching this film so soon after your Fast and the Furious binge? No, I actually love watching this right after the Fast and Furious binge because I'm seeing all this fantastic real stunt work with people who are doing crazy, crazy, nutty things with real cars moving down the road that they shouldn't be doing. And I love watching the reality of real stunt work. Now, I know in a lot of the Fast and Furious they were doing some real stunt work, but I also know there's a lot of stuff that wasn't real, like tank chases and airplane (laughs) chases and... And uh, yeah. lots of stuff. But right. I love seeing how it's evolved. And I think it's really fun to look at something that essentially birthed the whole Fast and Furious franchise. I think it is somewhat fair to say that. And see that it still has as much, if not more, energy. No, I, I agree with you. I think I'm... I'm uh, <laughs> I, I asked the question just because for me, I found it took a reset. You know, I feel like it took a... It, it takes a bit of a cleansing. I haven't watched the movie, you know, twice all the way through, but I have... I did watch the... I watched the movie all the way through, and then I had to go back and watch the major set pieces again, you know, the final chase and the, the opening sequence. And and I, <laughs> it, I... I had to really acclimate to these to to sort of realizing that these stunts you know like the cannonball stunt in particular uh where the you know our our stuntman is flipping 
head over heels, literally through the air. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and it looks on on first first viewing after you've seen this you know multi million dollar sports car fly between the buildings of of the giant skyscraper in Abu Dhabi. After you've seen that, it doesn't look that impressive <laughs> until you realize that they actually they actually did this one. They actually threw a guy head over heels, head over heels into a giant pile of cardboard boxes. Uh, and that suddenly it, it, it has a greater impact. Andy broke yeah. his leg again. Yeah. <laughs> again. It, it is, it is really, it's a stunning, like the stunt sequences in general are stunning, um, you know, accomplishments knowing that they, they were still in a position of paying on beer, <laughs> paying for work <laughs> on beer and hiring people off the street. At least they had a little more money this yeah. go around. Yeah, right. uh, but but they put it on screen. I think that's what's so exciting is they've you know created this whole fortress uh, refinery out in the middle of uh, the outback, uh, out by Broken Hill in, in New South Wales is where they're filming. Did I read they, that this was the this was the biggest set ever constructed in Australia at the time? I don't know if you read that or not, but uh, I wouldn't be surprised. I did. I think I did read that, or I saw it in one of the making of videos. It's floating around on YouTube. I'll dig it up. And then they blew it up. They sure did. <laughs> Which is also just super fun to watch. And they said that it was such a big explosion that they were planning that they had to actually notify all of the uh, the air traffic control people in the area and uh, just like all the, you know, all the police and everyone, even though they're out in the middle of nowhere, they had to notify everybody because this thing was so big and it shot things so far up into the air they had to let them uh, let them know. In fact, when you're watching it, and it's in, they shot it, I think, like 96 frames per second. But you can see these tires flying. I, I don't even know how high into the air, but those are those giant tractor tires when you're looking right. at that. It's like, yeah, those things went way high. So it was pretty crazy. It was a great explosion. Really yeah. satisfying. Yes. Um, Mel Gibson again. Uh, Good old Mel is back. A little bit less shiny, a little bit more uh, road weary. Yeah, I think this is where he first gets that little uh, swath of gray on the side of his uh, head, right? Yeah. A little gray patch. He was only, what, 24? Yeah, he was young. Did you know his name is Mel Columcill Gerard Gibson? Is that how you say that? Columcill? Columcill. C-O-L-U-M-C-I-L-L-E. Wow. That's awesome. That's a strange name. And that it's not that it's Mel. It's not short for something. Right. Melvin. Melvin. Right. Melnard. <laughs> Melnard? Mm-hmm. So between Mad Max, he did Tim, he did the chain reaction, he did Punishment, Gallipoli, he was in an episode of Tickled Pink, a TV series, and then he was in Mad Max. So he was very busy between Mad Max and Mad Max 2. And uh but like you said, I don't think he looks that much older. I think he just looks a little more run down. Yeah, he looks, I, I, I think they they made they gave him a great look for this to make it look like a guy who's been kind of living out on the road for you know two years, scrapping for fuel. Yeah, I found him. I found him quite believable, um, and you know, still wearing kind of the worn down leathers. You know, we talked about the the costume design last week, and I think that's a uh, um, you know, I think. The same thing really holds uh, in this film um, that, you know, Norma Morisot uh, ends up really pulling her weight in aging the, you know, 
after the fall kind of uh, gestalt, the costume gestalt that we have on display here. I think the the leathers look as if they are just you know two years more worn uh, after the last film. It doesn't look like a wholly different thing. We talked a little bit about this last week. This this idea that they that that one of the things that really sets the tone of the film is the evolution of the costume, the slow metered evolution from you know we're we're just trying to figure out how to how to live in this new world to we're plum Tina Turner crazy. Um, really, really works. And uh, she wasn't involved in Mad Max, but I think she did latch on to that. And also the differences between the kind of the two sides, the more punk side that you have with all the bad guys, and then kind of the the uh, sweating with the '80s style <laughs> that we have going on on the uh, the good guys side. It was. I, it's funny. It's like you know. It's sort of. Um, I I couldn't help but think about the uh, you know Khan and his people. Right. Couldn't help but think of it. They look like the, the sort of desert, de- the Gene Roddenberry's version of hardened desert people. You know, they they <laughs> they look dusty, but they still don't quite belong. And and that's what I got out of them. But I love it because it feels like a dystopian world where if this if you know if, if World War Three had happened in the middle of the eighties, I mean, clothing production is going to shut down, and you're going to end up wearing what you've been wearing at the time. And how and did so, these people all end up wearing the same like white <laughs> workout outfits? You latch on to people who wear the same clothes as you. Uh, okay. Right. They they were in a gym class. It was Zumba. <laughs> they were true. all in a Zumba class when civilization fell. <laughs> Mark my words, Andy. That's how it's going to happen. <laughs> Not slowly oh. over time, but quickly because of Zumba. Because of Zumba. <laughs> this is what we're left with. <laughs> this is our cultural history. <laughs> oh, goodness. Yeah. Oh, so, but I do love anyhow, it. I do. I do, I do love the look. This was we were supposed to be talking about Mel Gibson, but mostly it ended up here because his costume. Knowing that his costume was the full nicer police leathers last time around, I think it ends up looking really good, and his performance was great. Uh, how about Bruce Spence? He was one of my favorite characters in this. He's the gyro captain. He meets. Uh, he's <laughs> he's got this crazy uh, kind of w- wolf spider. Or is that the wolf spider? The trap spider plan? You know, where you he digs himself in a hole. <laughs> <laughs> tries to lure people, trapdoor spider, lures people to his gyro to be bit by a crazy snake that he's trained. What <laughs> <Right>. gets <laughs> up with that? I don't know, but it's just it's it's so fantastically silly that I just love it. Uh, I mean, he's he's great in the film. I just love his character. He's got just that the mouthful of rotting teeth, <laughs> and he's this giant of a man. He's like this scrawny scarecrow giant type of guy. I mean, I think he's seven. Uh, six feet seven is how tall he is. And um, uh, there's just something about him that works so well in this crazy world where he's like this crazy former Air Force captain or something. You know, I, I don't even know what his backstory is, but I love the idea of this guy who, in this world of fighting on the road, he flies around in a gyrocopter. There's something that's just awesome about that. I know. I think it's so good. Um, the, when you look at transformations uh, across the the scope of the narrative, you know we have obviously we have Mel Gibson who has his transformative awakening, but somehow 
our gyro captain goes from being the nut job trap door spider to the leader of the gang of sweating to the oldies uh, <laughs> <laughs> settlers. <laughs> that is that is a major transformation. It's fantastic. It really is. He's another actor who uh, came from this osploitation uh, world of films. He was um, back in 1971. He actually won an AFI award for best actor in this role in the the role uh, of a film called Stork. That was about. It was just kind of the silly Australian comedy where he's. I think it was just one of the kind of the the raunchier comedies, but um, I don't know what the actual story is, but he, that's kind of where he came from, from that movie. And he's one of those guys who is in everything. He was in Finding Nemo as Chum, one of the sharks. He was in The Lord of the Rings, Return of the King as the Mouth of Sauron, Matrix Revolutions as the Train Man. He was in Star Wars 3 as, I don't know who Tion Midon is, but I think he's one of the... um, uh, who is that? Is he one of the? Uh, I think he's one of the guys on Geonosis talking to, uh, like, cutting the deal with uh, with uh, the people to make the droids, right? One of the, the long, real... one of the long necks. No, I think no, he's the he tall, the... the tall businessman who's who's like, oh, the business district supports the droid oh, army. Okay, I don't know. I, that's, I don't remember. I'm, that's my guess because that's a tall character. Wow, I don't, I don't quite remember, You're, but yeah. yeah. Uh, oh, you know who he was? I actually, you know who? Okay, it's when um, when he goes when Obi Wan goes down to flies down to uh, the planet with the giant holes in the ground. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he, uh, yeah, Geonosis isn't it? Is, was that Geonosis? Anyway, he's the guy who said uh, who stops and says, "They're here, you know. Shh, don't don't make any sudden moves. The the army's right. here." So right. he he looks kind of like the vampire uh, from Mister Blue from uh, except right. for he was he's the guy right. put he through a, like cheese, he's got a cheese grater with a, on his head. He's <laughs> the lines. Somebody hit him Salem's in the face lot. a little too hard with yeah. a with a <laughs> fly swatter. So something. you take you take Mister Blue from Salem's Lot, you put him on a, like a panini grill, and then make him wear <laughs> a 1979 circa kind of uh, uh, cable knit uh, maroon cable knit turtleneck and that's what you've got that's what you got tion medon fantastic <laughs> i yeah, think the panini is... grill you gotta admit panini grill is really the nice touch there that is a great touch <laughs> i could i bet george lucas describes him that way <laughs> not he should he's going to now because he listens to the show regularly <laughs> hi george uh okay he is in everything you're absolutely right and i he was also in as with my, many of my other favorite Australian actors of the era, he was also in an episode of Farscape. Mm. One of these days, we're going to do just all of Farscape, because I love that show. There you go. And we're going to be talking about him more next week. I know. He is in the follow-up. Mm-hmm. Did you see I, Frankenstein? I didn't. He, he was in that, too. Bad. Looked bad. Looked bad. Yep. Yep. Um, right. speaking, speaking of Farscape... Do, Virginia do Hay. It. Do. Virginia Hay. Virginia Hay. Warrior Woman. She is in Farscape also. Yeah. yeah she plays Zoto Zahn. Oh, I love her in Farscape. She was the blue alien that, that I love so much. She was she was a total regular part of the crew. Awesome. <laughs> I love that show, and I think more people need to see it. Mm. I've never seen Farscape. I just <gasps> know that she was in it. 
so many people I know do, who who don't under, who aren't evolved enough to understand the show, they give up when they see that one of the aliens is kind of you know uh, Muppet era Yoda type character. You know, and that's, mm-hmm. it's any any science fiction with a short Muppet, it doesn't they, they just don't give it enough. Uh, they avoid it. Yeah, they avoid it, which is a real mistake. I love that show. Hmm, I'll have to watch it. Yep. She was in the Living Daylights. She was uh, um, John Reese uh, Myers. Not which which one is the, the Raiders of the Lost Ark one? Which John Reese is he? <laughs> You're just using words. What? John Reese Davies. Oh 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 uh, yeah, he was. Um, she was. He was like a Russian the, guy, uh, and she was his wife. And they faked what was his, his death. name. Uh, Pushkin. He, so, was yeah, he was he Leonid was, Pushkin. Yeah, and she was Rudovich. That's right. his wife. All right. And they had to fake his death, and she's like, no. And then he sits up in the back room. She's like, what? <laughs> she's like, what? <laughs> Who goes there? <laughs> what? <laughs> no, I love Warrior Woman, and I'll tell you why. I do this thing in my uh, screenwriting class where I've, I've cut, and I, I admit that I stole this from um, somebody else. Uh, I can't remember his name right now. Um, Bill Martell, I believe. Um, I cut uh, Mad Max Two. I cut all of her scenes to to tell uh, to show the class a character arc over the course of a film, and how you don't really need to have that many scenes to have a character arc. And I just play all of her scenes, which a lots uh, amounts to about fifteen minutes of screen time. And um, we just watch this story of Warrior Woman from the first time we meet her, hating Max and wanting to kill him to the point where she finally turns and says, I was wrong about you, to fighting by his side at the end and finally dying. It's a beautiful little story, and we watch it every semester in my class. And so I I have seen her scenes from this movie so many times. That's so many times. awesome. Yeah, but it's really fun. It's fun to watch and just to kind of see how a character actually transforms over the course of a, a film in a relatively short time. You're a, you're a smart cookie. Well, like I said, I admit to stealing it. So, <laughs> well, you know, you know how to steal the right stuff. That's right. It's all about what you steal. Well played. Not that you steal. <laughs> <laughs> steal like an artist. But she's she's been in enough cult stuff where she's one of those people who makes a lot of uh, money and spends a lot of time at different conventions. Yeah, I believe it. Yeah. Well, I don't know about the money stuff. How do you know she makes yeah, a lot of I, money? I, I guess I don't really know that. We don't share a bank account or anything. Well, I was wondering. I know. Yeah. Uh, We've got to talk about Max Phipps. Uh, He's been in a lot of other things. He was in in this film. Uh, He played uh, the toady. Gets his fingers chopped off. No, wait, is he the... So he gets... He's not the one who gets smashed at the end of the film. No. That was... That's humongous and Wes. And Wes, yeah, gets squished. Yeah, those are the ones I like. Humongous was Kiel Nielsen. I'm sure I'm saying that poorly. Me too. Our, uh, <laughs> we'll wait to hear the what the film pod guys say about yeah. that. Kjell, Kjell, Kjell Nielsen. 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 Who is a, uh, I think he was a Swedish uh, uh, like Olympic athlete or something like that. He looks who, it. Yeah, I mean, he just, I, I love the whole, I just, this is something I love about uh, George Miller and these stories is he creates these just out of, out of your mind sort of crazy 
antagonists that are just nutso. And I, you know, the the whole I guess the idea of Lord Humongous is that he might have been like a a military person who had his face burned or something, and so now he just runs around in this hockey mask and in next to nothing, and is just like bulking out with muscles. When you get that shot from behind his head, you can see like his veins pulsing on his head and everything. I just I love it. It's just it's nutso, and it's just it's so great. I I totally agree. He was a um, a Swedish Olympic class weightlifter. There you go. Weightlifter. He was only in. Looks like he was only in five films, or five uh, had five parts, including this was the one that he was really really known for. But man, he's a good looking man today. Good looking uh, man. I, you wouldn't know it from the hockey mask. <laughs> no, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. It looks like he is the uh, he is a director. At Nordrigo, Nordic Center for Spatial Development. Wow. He uh, he is the uh, doc- he's a doctor, Doctor Kiel Nielsen, Nordrigo's new director. He started that job on February first, two thousand thirteen. Well, there you go. <laughs> he's a head of division of Parks and Urban Landscapes at the Danish Center for Forest Landscape and Planning at the University of Copenhagen. That's like the perfect job for somebody to have, and then when the world goes. Hell in a handbasket. He's the one who becomes the humongous. I I have a hard time imagining that he's the same person because he had the the mask on. It is quite possible that I'm making Dr. Kiel Nilsson, who looks about the right age, that I'm making up a a history for him that is not accurate. I'm reading it all. It all it's all right there. I'm seeing it. You are the pictures and everything. Yeah. Yeah. The nice little goatee and everything. Yeah, that's him. Yeah. That makes me exceedingly happy. That is wild. There's there is nothing on the Nordrigo uh, site that actually talks about his role as Lord Humongous. Maybe they don't consider that appropriate uh, job history. I wonder if it's on his resume, <laughs> on his CV. I know I'm a doctor. I know I've worked hard. But did you see Mad Max Two? Because <laughs> I killed it in that movie. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> There's probably some some wires crossed in the in the world of the internet, and uh, two people have been fused into one. I know. I feel like I we're gonna it. be yeah. Somebody needs to do a somebody's, podcast about that. Somebody's gonna straighten us out. The mistaken identity of Doctor Kiel Nilsson. Serial. <laughs> that needs to be serial season two. <laughs> uh, all right. All right. Who? Where uh, do you want to go from there? Well, and then Wes. I think we have to mention yeah. uh, Vernon Wells as Wes, who I, I think is fantastic as just the most over-the-top uh, henchman. In fact, somebody, what was it, Empire Magazine listed Wes as the greatest movie henchman of all time. And I don't know. I, I guess I could see it. I, I certainly love watching him in this. He's just, he's nuts. He's crazy. Um, he was in uh, Weird Science as, I believe, kind of just pretty much the same character. And he was in, in he was in inner space as a henchman. As a henchman, as a CIA agent, one of the like agents at the end. I'm not sure which mm-hmm. one he was. He has been in a ton of stuff, a ton of stuff really recent. Like, do you see how much he has just announced pre production, post production filming? Like his 2015 list of credits is non trivial. It's yeah. bananas. He's so busy. The guy is everywhere. Boy, finally, somebody put Ethan Hawke. <laughs> put him down, man. We found somebody. <laughs> Took the reins. Wells. 
<laughs> Holy cow. Oh, yeah, right? That is nuts. No. Yeah. Yeah, he was great. And he meets a really satisfying end in this film. He is the crazy guy who reaches over the hood of the semi and ends up getting smushed between semi and oncoming uh, nitrous-powered, thrusted uh, buggy driven by Lord Humongous. And they they crash head-on, and he becomes liquid. It's pretty fantastic. It's really, really good. All right. Uh, what do you notice about George Miller uh, in his direction this time around? Any any notes? I, I think he definitely is more assured this time. I think he, uh, again, is really uh, having a good time just experimenting and playing around with his team. I think they are a little more self-assured this time. Um, I think he really works well with Dean Semler, the cinematographer in this, capturing just gorgeous widescreen shots of the Outback uh, just it just looks desolate and dry and and dirty, um, but they they make it look so good. And I think he just knows how to tell a really taut story. I love the way that he structures this script. To uh, it it feels fairly simple, but at the same time, I think um, there is more going on here. And uh, I love this idea of this man trying to find not necessarily trying to find redemption, but redemption kind of finds him, and and he's fighting it, and uh, he finally succumbs and is and is able to kind of get past this place that he was left at at the end of the last film i think that um he just he um has grown quite a bit as a filmmaker from the last film to this and it's interesting it's going to be interesting to see where he goes to the next one and then uh, there's quite a gap before fury road but I'm, I'm i'm excited to see how he takes it on there so uh dean semler was not a part of uh mad max Right. This uh, was but his, came, uh, this first. was his first, and he did do uh, Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. Right. Uh, and he is not a part of Fury Road. But this is where he he started getting busy. Uh, Dean Semler. He and he is he has been behind the camera of some some significant action flicks. Oh yes. Uh, and some uh, significant thrillers. Uh, and boy, you can just see why someone would want to pick him for. Uh, something like Triple X or uh, The Last Action Hero or Stealth. I mean, it's it's a guy who knows how to put cameras in the middle of action. Well, and not just that. I mean, this is a guy who shot Dances with Wolves. He knows how to capture right. just amazing landscapes um, and 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 uh, knows how to tell a story with the camera in the right way for the right genre. And um, I, I think that he does it really well, to, whether it's the action stuff or whether it's uh, Bruce Almighty or uh, Dances with Wolves. I, I think he's uh, very strong at telling a story with the camera, regardless yeah. of uh, what uh, um, what the genre is. In fact, he just I know what did you're going to say. I know it. Paul Plart, <laughs> Mall Cop 2. <laughs> yeah. That yep, he did. A little sad. A little he sad. did. Uh, he did Apocalypto, which uh, you know I thought was had an interesting look to it. I was not a fan of the film, but I haven't seen it. But uh, but I thought it uh, looked good from the trailers. Yeah. And Secretariat. It's another. Yeah. Uh, it had another. Uh, it it had big scope. Yeah, That's no, what I, they he had. yeah he definitely knows how to how to make stuff look pretty. And it's interesting, with all this stuff that he's done, he says that the film he gets asked about the most, it's not one of his big award-winning things, it is is The Road Warrior. 
he gets asked, he says, weekly about that film. <laughs> yeah, that's a curse. <laughs> Uh, all right, so there's uh, that we in generally, you know, we, we didn't talk a whole lot about the stunts, but the the stunts in this film were a nice uh, evolution from the first. Um, I, I think we we really do get the same sense of being right in the middle of it and getting a uh, a sense of throwing bodies around in a in a a really realistic and practical way. Two stunts that I ended up finding the behind the scenes videos on uh, watching them, you know, actually break their legs and the the clip the the cannonball stunt where um, you know, we, he's supposed to do a nice fly out of the windshield and, and tuck and roll. And it was a nice long throw, but had it gone right, it, it, he would have had a nice tuck and roll and then out of frame into the boxes, ended up leaving the car at the last minute and lost complete control. And did, that's where he did the full, um, what is it when it's, when it's not a pike, it's a, what is that position when your body is fully stretched out? panic <laughs> it was the panic position i'm sure i'm sure i learned i think that i i did <laughs> I don't a, know. when he he falls out he comes out of the car and he's fully stretched out it, you know his head's flipping over he, he's flipping over himself like a just more like a stick flying through the air right with complete lack of control and that's where he broke his leg they use that one actually in the film uh obviously which was which is sort of horrifying knowing that it was completely out of control, like some of the stunts we talked about last week. And that, and the other one was it, it, the, the car is cruising along uh, at 60 miles an hour, and there's a, there's a gunner uh, in the, sort of in the trunk, and the car goes up and has to clear 20 feet of wreckage mm, and, then, oh, yeah. and then land. And he, the car ends up coming out and, and over on top of the guy who's like standing on top of the car. Uh, which ended up not going as well, and so that was the that was Max Aspen, um, and and both of those guys, those stunt guys, were out of production. They were like the lead stunt guys. They were out of out of production uh, for the duration of the. It was Guy Norris and Max Aspen out of production Ouch. for the duration of the film because of those Man. injuries. Yeah. Wow. They should have used Grant Page, who is the stunt coordinator on Mad Max. They should have. Glad you found <laughs> that. Phew. Uh, but what is uh, Guy Norris, it will be interesting. He is the supervising stunt coordinator for Fury Road um, and Suicide Squad. If you Have you seen some of those pictures coming out of that? Uh, yeah, it looks ridiculous. It really does. It makes me so sad. Yeah. Anyway. And Happy Feet 2. He was the stunt coordinator for Happy Feet 2. How was there a stunt coordinator on Happy Feet 2? It was animated. But I'm guessing it was uh, because it was, it was motion capture, and they probably had some of the actors in wires, uh, you know, oh, wire rigs, yeah. jumping and doing things on stage to film uh, them, so they could actually capture the motion. All right, well, as they do when you're filming. You've saved capture. it this time. Uh, a random note. Do it, Harold. Harold Bajent, I think. I don't know how you say that last name. Bajent. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was the. Uh, he had a 246 word introductory monologue at the beginning of the film. Um, that is his voice at the beginning, and then he also finishes up at the end. He was in Gallipoli. He was the camel driver that they run into. Random <laughs> bit of really, trivia. That's funny. <laughs> I had to make that connection again. Gallipoli. We've done that movie. That was, it was a great also, film. It was also it was in our 1981 series. That's yeah, right. So this this can also be added to we that need little to, group. Yeah, slot that right in there. 
Oh, I was going to say, this is a film that a lot of filmmakers credit with being one of their favorites. Uh, Guillermo del Toro, David Fincher, Robert Rodriguez, and uh, James Cameron all credit it as either one of their favorites or something that's had incredible influence on them. That still surprises me. I don't know why. Compared I, to I, Just compared to the first one. I mean, if I'm going to pick a film, this one, I prefer the original Mad Max to Mad Max 2 at this point. Yeah, I can tell. <laughs> I but I'm just saying, you know, David Fincher's and I were in the same corner, so that's cool. <laughs> you stay over there. <laughs> okay, Gauntlet has been thrown. <sighs> All right, how did it? Uh, how did it do? Well, you have the box office on your side. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it didn't do as well as uh, Mad Max, um, although it still did pretty well for itself. I couldn't find as many international figures. I could only find Australia and the U.S. Um, from what I found, it cost $2 million to make, uh, which adjusted to today's dollars is about $5 million. So, I mean, they had... Uh, quite a bit more money because last time it was what two hundred thousand and uh, yeah so they bumped that up by another zero and um, this film ended up in the U.S. This film definitely uh, found its audience here. It made twenty four point six million here in the U.S. and uh, internationally, well in Australia, it made twelve point two million. So it uh, all told, it ended up. Uh, uh, making an adjusted profit per finished minute of about $928,400 per finished minute. So it didn't have uh, as fantastic a return as Mad Max, but it still it still made money, still did well for itself. And I think all of these films have really ended up creating quite the following. And um, I think it's fair to say that they all continue to make money. Yes, I think so. And maybe on the poster artwork alone. Have you have you done the posters for Pinterest yet? I haven't, but I'm definitely uh, looking forward to checking them out because the ones that I've seen for it, I just love. I, I, I love oh. I love all the posters for the Mad Max series. There is the the one I'm looking at right now has the semi coming straight down the middle with these great leading lines, perspective lines straight back into the middle of the thing to the exploding refinery. And on one side you see the shoulder and massively muscular arm of humongous and on the other side you have the mirror of just the shoulder and and arm of max and that is not mel gibson's arm (laughs) it looks like it's humongous's arm it looks like it's a mirror of humongous's arm right uh that's really it's really good that's a fantastic poster i'm checking it out now just one man can make a difference (laughs) right love it uh i say we rank it Let's do it. Let's head over to flickchart.com slash the next reel, and you can uh, join us, friend us, like us, subscribe to us, take a look at our movies and rank them yourself, and then let us know how we we diverge in a yellow wood. Let's do it. This is a great first start. The Road Warrior or Mad Max. Uh, well, let's, I, uh, let's start off with some headbutton here. I'm I'm already on the record. I think it's just a there's a stronger emotional connection in the first film. I and I would say the same about the second one. Although I think they're both fantastic. I think they're both uh, top notch films and well worth watching. So uh, we're gonna have to Rochambeau this one. All right, let's do it. All right, one, one, two, two, three, three rock. rock. One. All right, one, two, two three. three. 
scissors paper oh man yeah see i see i see <laughs> payback <laughs> i know oh injustice <laughs> the road warrior or taxi driver the road totally warrior. The road warrior yeah. yes absolutely road warrior or field of dreams <laughs> the road warrior <laughs> I although actually, that's what i'd love to see a mashup <laughs> That would be, if you build it, he will come. <laughs> Don't let him come. <laughs> Here he is. The, the poster with the field actually exploding in the background and the two giant muscular arms. I would love it if his dad appeared and it was humongous. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I just wanted to play ball with you, Dad. <laughs> why, why are you blowing up my car? <laughs> uh, so do we need to Rochambeau this one, too? No, no, no. I, no, I'm, I'm road warrior oh, okay. this one. Road Warrior or the Knight of the Hunter? I'm still Road Warrior. Yeah, yeah, I'm Road Warrior. Road Warrior or Knowing, I'm still Road Warrior. Yes, I thank goodness. <laughs> road Warrior or Kind Hearts and Coronets? Road I'm Warrior. Still road Warrior. I, uh, I, it's going to be Road Warrior for me, probably on most of these, because uh, it should have been about <laughs> Mad Max. <laughs> the Road Warrior or Hot Fuzz? I'm still yeah, warrior. I'm Road Warrior. Oh, man, some of these posters are fantastic. Look at that. 93 right behind Mad Max <laughs> and Joe vs. the Volcano. Oh, it's too funny. Yeah. It makes too you it makes funny. you want to re-rank Mad Max and beat it, Joe vs. the Volcano. That was a mistake. It, that was a no, flick chart hate. It's crime. not. It just it, it makes me want to re-rank Joe and get Joe higher. <laughs> <laughs> flick chart purity, Andy. I know, I know. But it's number 93 out of 183. So it's still, I think, yep. in a good spot. We have an awful lot of great we movies. We have on great this movies on this list. That's the challenge. So, right. It is. Yes, it is. It should be no surprise that we go from here to uh, Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. Because if you hadn't heard, we don't need another hero. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. We also don't need to know the way home. No. We don't, because of Tina. Uh, I This one, uh, 1985, I don't know what to think about this one. I'm nervous. I've watched it again. I'm ready. Are you? I am ready. Is it, ready is it to uh, third in your list of favorite it's, Mad Max films? <laughs> it's third in my list, yes. I'm, right. I am really looking forward to talking about it, because it's... There's a lot of interesting things going on there. All right, I'm looking forward to it too. I'm going to go watch it tonight. That's my and plan. I, I, yeah, I think there's a. Uh, well, we'll get into it next week. We will. Yes, we will. All right. Uh, sounds good, Andrew. I'm going to go to bed. All right. I'm going to go play with my hurdy gurdy. I got two. Ooh, that's wow. Right. That's right. Uh, not amazing, but probably was terrific for its time from Gaijin Girl. Finally yeah. saw Road Warrior. Okay, to be truthful, the characters weren't particularly deep or the car crashes particularly amazing, 
for its time, it was probably far better than seeing it in 2013, so it's okay, but unless you're already a fan, I wouldn't over-recommend it. Which I think is, you know, I, I guess she's being very honest, but my favorite one is, uh, now I get all those things in pop culture that look like S&M and bondage gear. George Miller and Mad Max did it. <laughs> and I have to ask, what things? <laughs> what What things do you get? All those things in pop culture. I mean, can you think of any? That's pretty funny. I don't have any. Chaining people to the front of my car? Never done that. Ooh, you're missing out, man. Nobody in my pop culture crew oh, ever does here. that. It's an Arizona thing. <laughs> I no longer wear my, my chaps, my buttless chaps. <laughs> I'm still wearing mine. <laughs> All right, what's yours? <laughs> mine is a one star. That's title is actually one star. By Carla. <laughs> and Carla is very succinct. She just says, Boring! <laughs> yes, she did. Hit the nail on the head, Carla. Thank you for that. <laughs> Thank you, Amazon. I've been podcasting since 2006. In that time, I've tried countless hosting platforms. But in August 2022... We switched to Transistor to power all of our shows here at True Story FM, and it's been a game changer. I love the Transistor allows unlimited podcasts and storage without extra charges. We can publish so much content, and we do. If you want to start up a podcast, do yourself a favor and host your show on Transistor. With their one-click publishing, you can get your new show onto all the major podcast directories effortlessly. And their website builder lets you quickly build custom sites for each show. The detailed analytics are invaluable, too. You can access all kinds of listener data anytime. Oh, and the versatile players allow you to embed episodes anywhere to reach new listeners. Plus, the team behind Transistor is super responsive and keeps making the platform even better. After using countless hosting services over 15 plus years, Transistor has been hands down the best podcast partner for us. If you want a hosting platform to take all the worry out of getting your podcast out into the world, go to thenextreel.com slash transistor and check it out. Support our show and support your own show by going to thenextreel.com slash transistor. Start growing your podcast today. <laughs>